Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. You have to understand, every time you write a score at the end of the day, you are creating a history that somebody's going to read and make a, going to be dependent on making a decision. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. This week we have a full house with some GDIY veterans. We have Blaine and Patty Carter from Maine and Pete Aplikowski of the Minnesota chapter, uh, where recently I met up with them in um, Minnesota to do an Ames and Rules clinic, as well as Pete had a chapter test going on in the same weekend. So uh, Minnesota had a full weekend here recently. But uh, first, guys, thanks for joining us. And uh, is everybody doing all right tonight? Yeah, doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm living the dream. I can't complain ever. Uh, Pete, first off, I need to know, like, how tired is a chapter after putting on a test and an Ames and Rules clinic in the same exact weekend? Well, we barely caught our breath. We just put on another two-day test up at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp this weekend. So, so y'all just followed up last weekend with a test and a clinic. You follow that up with another test this weekend? We did. We're doing eight weekends uh, and 20 total days of testing this year. So there's... Uh, once the snow melts and we get going, we, we, and we want to be done before hunting season, so we got to cram all that in. Wow. So is that typical every year? Are y'all doing 20 test days every year, or is this kind of a lot for one No, year? we've ratcheted up with the growth in NAMD and the popularity of these dogs. We've gone, you know, five years ago, so we were doing 10, 10, day, 10 to 12 days a year. And then we started doing three-day tests and three-day double tests and trying to keep up with test demand. And then the last two years, I think we've been at 16 days. To, this year, we were planning on an 18, and then we had such a long waiting list for an NA test. Uh, we we ended up – we have the grounds at one of our venues where we can do double a double test. And uh, we're going to try a two-day double NA test July, uh, third week of July, and we're going to run 40 dogs that weekend. Wow. So <laughs> – that, so that that's going to keep you busy. <laughs> well, and we're just trying to help our members and keep up with the man. People join the chapter thinking that, hey, I want to test my dog. I was told to join NAVDA, and then they join the chapter, and the tests are all full. 
Yeah. So we're doing the best we can to get people's dogs tested that want to join, especially with those puppy people. You know, they, they're, those are the new people that get excited about stuff and can be valuable members if we can keep them hooked. Um, but if they get, you know, they get disillusioned early on, like, well, why should I join? I can't even get in a test and they go away and then we, they're gone forever, you know? So yeah. we're doing our best. And they, you have a 16 month window too for those puppies. Well, and then not only that, in a northern climate, you've only got a, you know, May, June, July, August, and first part of September period to test those dogs, you know, so. Have you, Pete, have you seen a, a an increase in demand for clinics like the Ames and Rules Clinic, which we're going to break down? Have you, have you guys increased uh, the dates for stuff like that in addition to the tests? Well, we've, it's probably, when I first joined the chapter, we weren't even doing one every year. I had to wait a couple of years for one to come around, but like, see, I think the last, well, COVID, we had one canceled because of COVID, but. 2020, but I think we've done one every year for the last six years, except for that one COVID year. Um, uh, this one, and we do a pretty good job of describing what the Ames Clinic is to our members. It's not for everybody. It's the pretty intense clinic, um, and, and you know you need to be pretty pretty serious about what you're going to expect out of the weekend because you're not you know you're not working with your own dog, right? Um, and I think that's a very good change that NAVDA made a couple years ago. They changed it the name of it from the Handler Clinic to the aims and rules clinic, which, you know, let's face it, it's a kind of a scorecard clinic, right? It's about how the scorecards work and how judges look at dogs and all that stuff. So it is, it gives handlers a really good idea how that all works. But I think a lot of people thought that they were, especially when, if you're like only doing a clinic or two a year as a chapter and somebody sees the name handler clinic, they're like, Oh great. I'm going <laughs> to bring my dog for the weekend and we're going to work with my dog. And then they get there and they get, they're like, wait, yep. wait I'm not even working with my own dog. <laughs> so I think that was a good name change. Um, but, you know, we're probably going to test 100 natchability dogs this year in our chapter, and I'm, I'm, we're struggling to keep up helping those people get ready for their tests, but this is not a clinic to do that for. Yeah. Um, so I think one a year for us is about right. We probably need to do more other stuff to help all these puppy people and keep up with stuff, which we're doing our best for, but um, yeah, that's just the way it goes. And to kind of set the stage of this a little bit, you know, we're going to jump into this Ames and Rules Clinic in, in detail, you know, especially coming from Blaine, who was the instructor for the clinic that I, I attended. And, and again, to kind of set the stage, Pete, you, you kind of reached out to me earlier this year and you told me you're like, hey, I know it's kind of a haul, but if you can make it, we're going to do an Ames and Rules Clinic on this weekend. And at the time when you offered that, there wasn't another Ames and Rules Clinic within a reasonable travel time for me anyway. So if I was going to attend one, it was going to be a long haul for me. And so I'm like, well, you know, screw it. Let's go up to Minnesota. I haven't been up and checked that chapter out. So I signed up and got the plane ticket, flew out there and met a bunch of people and uh, got to sit through a full weekend of instruction with the likes of Blaine Carter, who's who's going to, you know, uh, really grace us with all of his knowledge and explanations of what the Ames and Rules Clinic is. Blaine, how long have you been doing uh, or instructing the Ames and Rules Clinics? I think over 40 years now. 40 years of ju of instructing these clinics? You've been doing these for 40 years? Probably before it had a title, you know. You yeah, know. well, I, I went through the handless clinic. <laughs> that, was, that was the first. You know, the Ames and Rules Clinic, uh, and, or handless clinic as it was called, is basically been the same clinic. So there's really no difference other than the name change, which Pete, Pete just explained. It was just a name change, something that was more uh, 
people were hoping that somebody would come in and tell them how they could properly run their dogs through a clinic and um, and it would be only a handling side to it and realistically it wasn't designed to be that. So at the Yankee chapter we had, um, our first, I think it was our first um, handler clinic, Bob West, uh, I think Jim Applegate came out and uh, Frank Spates was, was one of the presenters which is uh, from your chapter, uh, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had our members were so well schooled in this, um, just what we did in our chapter as uh, educational of the handlers. So they 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 really needed the to see the the scoring and that part of the event. Um, and it was really good. It was a fun it was a fun event. That was my first one, and I thought, well, I'll become an apprentice judge. And I think I, that was my seventh one with you, Pete. And I just go for the education and the learning as a handler. And I, every time I take a clinic, I, I gain information. So it's not just for those who are rooting to be a judge. So, Patty, you, you so mentioned... I learned stuff this weekend, too, yeah. Yeah, Patty, you mentioned while we were there that you you tag along and you attend these clinics as well. You've been, uh, what did you say, you've been to six or seven of them over the years? Uh, yeah, I, oh, yeah. So, so this is something that I think is very important to touch on to where what Pete just described is, is really ultimately a scorecard, uh, clinic. It kind of gives you the ins and outs of the tests and what judges are kind of, you know, it's kind of an introduction to what the judges are, are looking for and, and stuff like that. But it, it, there's more value to it than if you just have aspirations to become a judge and, and you're kind of a case in point to where you keep attending the clinics and you're getting something out of it every time. Exactly, exactly. And I thought at first I had to become a judge in order to learn all this stuff. And then I realized I could still attend these events as a member and someone just who wants to acquire more knowledge. And that was the best part. So we try to, like Pete says, we educate the chapter in the presentation of the event as to what it's for in the, in the background. And, you know, it's, it's, it's for everybody that's ever going to consider testing a dog in that. Hmm. So, Blaine, describe, break down the, the format of this clinic. You know, Pete just said it's a scorecard clinic, but kind of talk to, to the listeners about the environment. You know, if they sign up and attend, what can they kind of expect for just the layout of the weekend? Well, my my layout, I I, I like doing my, first of all, um, you're running against the system. So anyone coming to NAFTA and, and expecting to run in one of our tests, they need to know the guidelines, you know, what, what are the standards necessary to success running these dogs. And I like to put that out, basically put that out. I like to characterize it in discussions because I find that as long as I give them good baseline information as to what the rule is saying or whatever, may it, you know, how we're going to look at a natural ability dog or how we're going to look at a UPT utility or even an invitational dog. The, uh, my idea is first give them the rules, right? And get, they, every rule has a starting point and a finishing point, meaning what is good work and what is bad work. Well, bad work, no work at all is pretty easy. And we live on a four-point system. You figure one, zero to four is our judging ranking for every category that you're going to do in a particular card on a particular dog. So numbers 
Numbers are only a percentage of, of work being done. The, the real nuts and bolts of this thing is to be able to put those rules out in a manner where they start reading dogs, understanding their, their behaviors as they, to, to their own animals. And that's, 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 that's the important thing to me, for me, when I'm presenting that kind of information. Yeah, and and I can say from somebody who just went through the course with you, that's ultimately kind of the style that you ran to where you presented the information, you presented the the criteria for which we're trying to learn how to assess these dogs and pay attention to the to what the dog's telling you ultimately. And then ultimately it was just a weekend of fun discussion. Like that that's what the thing that I took away from it is like we're all debating we all saw the same dogs do the exact same thing but everybody had a different interpretation of it or uh you know this mattered more to that person over there than it did over here like it was really interesting just to see how even though we were watching the same thing take place so many different people had different outlooks on it and i I guess that comes back to what the scorecard and the the navda definitions and the the rules are supposed to kind of guide the judges through is that kind of a fair way of putting it well yeah yeah you know that those those are the the rules are the criteria for for scoring these animals and but it's a basic dog knowledge you know instinctive values where you did when you're dog training and uh uh, those behaviors that the dog puts out, those attitudes, those, those are, those are, if we do a very, you know, the neat thing with these uh, clinics is, it like when you were sitting out in your, when we were doing, we see a dog and then we did a discussion piece for, for doing a scoring. Um, in that, in that opportunity, each and every one of the individuals in there, even the novice individuals, had some idea as to what they thought they were seeing in dogs. But when you do that in a, a rounded conglomerate of different levels and then, and then have seen something and then putting that attitude to work to, through your own knowledge, you all of a sudden start gaining uh, uh, insight to dog training, if the real basic element of dog training is making a correction or making a positive situation out of out of your dog's behavior, and if you can see it, that makes you a better dog trainer. I'll jump into Nick uh, what you just said about how there were so many different perspectives with all those different, different people watching. That's one of the good things about the the judging system. There's three judges, uh, sometimes two apprentices, and when you get even a little bit more experienced apprentices, even better because, you know, obviously their scores don't count, but sometimes it takes five sets of eyes out there to see everything. And then you have, even in a judging group at a test, you have these discussions. I'm like, what did you see? What did you see? Oh, I missed that. Thanks for that data. I'm going to write that down and, and you get the, you end up with the right score. What I thought was pretty neat in, in, in the, you know, participating in the groups that we broke up into as, the very novice person, I loved listening to their insight of what they saw happen, you know, and versus the person who knows exactly the bo- dog's body English and why they did what they did when they did it. So that was very, very fun for me to watch that and just listen to everybody's, you know, whatever they saw. It was, it was a great clinic piece. You put on a great clinic. Yeah, that that was Really, I think it's very important for people to realize whether you're you're new to NAVDA or you've been at it and you you know you've kind of been the uh, 
the I, I don't know the the Monday morning quarterback right to where they question everything the judges do. It was really eye opening to kind of put yourself in a simulated version of what you guys do on, on a test situation, and you kind of have a better understanding or at least a respect of what it's like when you're having to judge the dog right there in front of you without any other context besides what you just saw the dog do, and then you have to give your assessment and your scores based on that performance right there in front of you. It, it was really interesting to be in your shoes for just, just a little bit. And it's just, you know, again, it goes back to, I kind of have a better respect for what you guys are looking at and having to debate and discuss because some people, it, it's not very easy to change their mind with what they think they just saw. Right. Yeah. And, but you know, it, it's, it's, to me, it's like writing a book or telling a story, I guess is the way I put it, is that dog did a performance. There's a story in that performance. Those are all the actions, everything that the dog did was the story. And the, the, the name of the thing is how does that story in that particular event fit the criteria of what we want for that, for instance, if we're doing a versatile hunting dog in a utility test. So um, one of the things that really impressed me, I mean, it really kind of uh, made me feel real good that I, I things were going right as far as a clinic leader, was uh, Sunday when they were doing the utility field, and we were just before lunch, and uh, uh, I looked out in that field, and there was those four groups, and they didn't want to get it, come in for lunch. They were going to get to the bottom of that story and they were working hard, and I I thought that was that that impressed me a lot. Yeah, so I mean, it's again to to kind of explain better what what we did is Saturday we had you you pretty much went down the entire scorecard of the natural ability on Saturday. So I mean, from start to finish, we understood, or or, or you kind of instructed us through everything that goes into it, what each section of the test is supposed to be, what the purpose of it, and so on and so forth. Sunday was utility and both days we had two different demonstration dogs and that's just it and so essentially you're kind of running an entire NA dog or NA test with two dogs so you're going to see two dogs go through each event and then the same thing on utility and so it was really interesting to where again you're you're just seeing these dogs for the first time you know nothing about them and all you have is a scorecard and you're supposed to go out there and just by the uh, constraints of the the test and the scorecard that's what we're basing everything off of and and uh what you're talking about blaine is by the end of sunday everybody was involved in the discussion you know saturday it was like you had the people that were naturally a little slower to get involved in the conversation but by the end of sunday we were all experts in utility dogs and we're all trying to make our points it was really funny it was and that's when i have my most fun because i I, believe it or not all these years i enjoy doing clinics I, i think i have as much fun as you do my fun is is how much information I can get into the into a particular group, and usually by utility, the feedback starts coming back of how they drive their score, how they get the jaw, jostle their scores to where they need them, what they, how they interpret what they saw. It was it's neat to see that grow, and that's that's why I think I like doing them. Actually, it's just, it, it's fun. And I particularly like when I really see that I like getting around those little finute 
uh, judging areas where scores can go either way and throw a wrench in there so that they they have to think through now a little stronger. Well, where I put that wrench in there that what would develop them into the direction they need to go with their thoughts. And uh, I love doing that. Yeah, and you did that quite often to where you you could tell you were kind of you were having fun, you're enjoying it to where just whenever a certain group thought they had it mapped out and they're they're confident, you would just ask one question. Well, what about this? What did you What did you think on that? And then they're back to square one, and it's all confidence is shot. It was actually really funny to watch because you did that to all groups at different points through the weekend. But it's a testament to see there's a lot of information that goes into this. You know, judges. You know, it's I don't know. It's just until you're in the the shoes of having to critique a dog and a handler right there in front of you, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, Pete, did you did you kind of have the same reaction when you first kind of got into the judging uh, program? Um, I I was fortunate. I was when I got into it. This hadn't really. There's only been a couple of people. I mean, the people that did them were uh, the forefathers. Forefathers. So I was in the developmental. I, I got in it when it when it was developing and growing. And NAVDA was now really becoming a, a, an organization that was grounded, I guess. And uh, um, one of the things that we hope to get apprentices out of these clinics, people who do really well at these clinics, we want to try to get them if they once they get all the criteria done get them into this program because we need judges in our infrastructure because we're growing and, and we're growing very fast. It's when uh, Pete told you about how many tests he's doing this year, everybody's going through a growth that right now. So it's not just him, it's everywhere. These clinics are, are, are vital. You have to have one to become an apprentice. And one of the things that I like to get across to everybody that wants to be apprentice or even people who are judges is you have to understand every time you write a score at the end of the day, you are creating a history that somebody's going to read and make a, going to be dependent on making a decision for what they're going to do their future reading. So the better we do these jobs and the better we get the information to them. So we're consistent. Um, we're only helping ourselves. Yeah, I think, Blaine, that's a testament to NAMBI in general about how much better these dogs have got over the years is because of that. And we have the best judging system in the dog world, I think. And and not only judges, but judges that want to judge. You know, they're, they're passionate about what they do. And uh, that, that that's special. And so this is... This is a requirement to apply for the judge uh, program, right? For, for If I wanted to enter in the judge apprenticeship, then I would have to attend one of these clinics before I could apply. Is that correct? That, and you have to run your, you have to run your dog in natural ability and utility and successfully. Okay, so so those are the main or the the main points just to apply for the apprenticeship program. But again, you know, going back to what Patty and I were just saying, you. You can get a lot of value from this clinic, even if you don't want to become a judge. Let's say you just want to, be, you know, I'm just a trainer. I'm just a handler. I own dogs. Uh, would you guys say, you know, give me your, your spiel on whether if I'm just a handler, I don't care about becoming a judge. Is there, 
is there still valuable things for me to pick up from just attending this clinic? Well, God, yeah. Think about it. just the ability to read the dog pointing when he when he's going to break on point uh, when you try to do your steadiness work or teaching a young dog to to point uh, when he's in the game what is desire what what is his strength the desire for that process there's all these little idiosyncrasies that we discuss in that those things that uh, apply greatly to your training. Pete did a great job with his uh, handlers for the clinic because they were, the dogs created great discussions. And also I saw them like, they couldn't wait to hear the critique because they wanted to learn. They never left the group. They they were there learning about what everybody said about their dogs. So it was great. It was great, great dogs running. And I, Nick, I think um, whether you want to become a judge or not, I, I think, you know, Pete, some, some new people, especially, they probably never, they go run their national ability test and they've probably never seen the Ames book even. I mean, I know when you join NAVDA, there's different packages you can buy and one of them includes like getting an Ames book and stuff. And you can, and I know it's available to download online, but, but how many new people that get it, that show up to a breeder and they say, Hey, we'd like you to run the puppy natural ability and join NAVDA or check out NAVDA. How many of them are really going to go read that rules book and they sign up for testing and, and they show up and, and it's, and I would encourage more people to do that because it is available for free online. And you read through that thing and, um, it's not a big book. It's very succinct. It's very brief. Um, I tell people it's sometimes it's almost like the Bible. You can, you know, how many different religions have come out of the Bible, but there's, there's so much in so few words in that, in that Ames book. And every time I pick it up and read it, I, I still, even last weekend, I pulled that out a couple of times like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get that now. You know, I need to remember that, you know? And I think if more people did that and, and, and going to the clinic, you really start to these these primary NAVDA principles: nose, desire, cooperation, pointing, search. I mean, those are five key words right there that new people never really really get a, a even a basic understanding of before they run out there in the field and nationality test. And um, for people that really want to have a thirst for knowledge and do the best by their dog, they should check it out. Nick, did you notice that on Sunday morning when we were sitting there, how many people read the book that Saturday night? Before the <laughs> exactly. Game? Yeah, they they came away Saturday and they're like, oh, crap. Put it under the pillow. Probably should have read this. You know? I, I wonder if that's a direct relation to the confidence that they had discussing the dogs throughout Sunday. Because I'm telling you, as a, as a participant, the involvement from the rest of the, the clinic it, it was that much more on Sunday than what it was Saturday. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that, them going home, reading the, the Ames book, if they came back with an extra level of confidence that let, allowed them to speak up a little bit more. I, I think, I think Patty's right. I think they left their Saturday, like, you know, you know, I should have crammed for this test Friday night and now I'm going to cram for it Saturday night before Sunday. So I don't look, so I look better on Sunday, you know? <laughs> So, Pete, I want to circle back and go to the demo dogs that Patty was just talking about. You know, when it, when a chapter decides to put on a clinic like this, how important is it to find the right demo dogs? Because, you know, we can always go find, not always, we can typically go find a stud dog that can run through the test, but that's not exactly what we're after, right? Like, I mean, yeah, we want to see good dog work, but at the same time, we kind of need the the... I don't know the errors or the mistakes, quote unquote. No, that's right. Yeah, and I what I try to do. I've been I've been in I've been the coordinator for I think four or five of these now, and 
I try to find one good discussion dog, you know, dog that's going to throw out some, you know, twos and threes, and, you know, maybe a one or maybe even a zero, you know, maybe, maybe I saw a dog at a test that was just taking on every bird, not pointing. Um, maybe, maybe that's a dog I want the clinic people to see, but I kind of also like to show people, you know, cause a lot of times you're like, Hey, what's a four? Well, <laughs> yeah. I can't describe it, but you know it when you see it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, especially like on duck search or something like that at the utility level, right? Yeah. Um, and so I tried to do that. And, um, unfortunately, um, we had a very good group of dogs for discussion, but, um, a couple of the dogs that I thought were going to ace a couple parts and throw out some fours had some rough days. And, and part of it was the test setup too, like that NA track that I, you know, we were trying to stay in that same area of the grounds and not have to drive again to do that track. And the grass was getting so high in that area. I, I kind of snuck down near that pond and I found an area where people had been parking and a lot of cars from that other retriever event that was going on. Yeah, and I thought, well, we'll just sneak a couple tracks in down here. Well, then I realized later, after the dogs didn't do well, that there was so much waterfowl stuff down there, feathers and goose poop and everything, and like, what did we give? Like, I think both dogs got ones in the track, right? Yeah, that was probably that that was definitely probably the uh, the the lesser side of the dog. Yeah, and that was probably my fault because both those dogs probably were better dogs than what you saw that day, but it created a lot of discussion still, like you said, you know, but also, you know, just to add a little bit more context, you know, we had how many people there, you know, I mean, when we talk about training dogs and getting your dog ready for a utility test and getting people, the gallery, right. You have your judges, you have your gunners, you, you, you have a family member if they're walking with you, whatever. There's a lot of people in that gallery. Well, you, can multiply that two or threefold and you had a lot of people all just staring at this dog and you could tell some of those dogs were looking at us like what the heck are y'all doing here yeah that's true we had you know there was over 20 people out in the field and when we were doing the field stuff well at every event i mean you know watching you know between the between blaine and me and the clinic attendees and the volunteers yeah yeah so Blaine, for somebody that's been then that's been a clinic leader for forty years, is there some commonalities between like the highlights of these clinics, or maybe the 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 stuff that we need to improve on on communicating or better explaining it? You know, is there commonalities that kind of transcends all different regions and clinics, or does it just kind of vary based on the demo dogs and the demonstrations they see? Well, the demo dogs, the demo dogs generate the information. Uh, uh, Good dogs doing great things doesn't doesn't give you much information other than a good image. Um, dogs that don't do it at all levels, those are the dogs I like in clinics because um, they make it easier to to define weaknesses and and then equate it equate it with a number and. Um, and once you get those thoughts going, I think that's very important. Um, like the, I, I to to peace defense. Actually, that was a great place to show because those dogs had moments in their tracking where they would actually actually would connect to uh, some scent, and it might have been very limited. But it's those limited uh, attachments that that people see. That teaches now. Okay, that's those are the indicators that that make the more I have of them, and the longer they become. Now, now I have a register that gives me a, a performance level, and I think we those that that was perfect for that situation. 
and it, it really provided some good information for listening to those talks. So it was wonderful. So I, I wouldn't be too down on yourself, Pete. Darl, oh, thanks for that. I I felt bad because one of the dogs is mine running it. He did a four track at his ago, <laughs> and he did a one that day. <laughs> threw your wife under the bus. <laughs> well, I mean, Blaine, you know, trying to stick with the commonalities. I mean, what what's one of the more common hurdles? I know, I know during during the course, you you mentioned that this is a common uh, occurrence where there's a lot of confusion between the difference differences between desire and cooperation. Like, are there examples such as that that uh, and that may be the the right example that I'm looking for? But is there other examples that you would say, no matter where you go, which clinic you go, it seems to always be kind of a a challenge for the attendees to understand on the first go around. Oh geez. Uh, I think I think the uh, going to the back of the scorecard note writing would be the most uh how they get their notes on, how to watch a dog and get their notes on, and then the mechanics of the card like in steadiness, steady wing, shot and fall, how those numbers roll in and how do you do it first if a dog has four opportunities and you're trying to figure out what, what, what is the, where is he solid and where is he weak? And then how does that equate to an overall steadiness? That is, is hard. And I think that's one of the difficult points. And yeah, I think even our own judges are still working out that formula today, but um, that's always been a, a hard place. And I think that's a very important thing to touch on is the judges are are learning still to this day. You you guys have at, correct me if I'm wrong annually y'all y'all kind of come together y'all try and figure out how to improve certain things. Uh, so it's not like y'all just become judges and then the learning stops, right? You, you guys you guys are continuing to learn alongside of everybody else every single year doing this stuff. Well, there, there's all kinds of situations that dot. Canines are very, if you think you've seen it all, I, I'll tell you right now, you, they are liars and cheats, every one of them. And you never know <laughs> how it's going to look. And, um, and that's, we get, of course, we have how we run our tests. Like when we, we go down through search, what we're looking for, for a 20-minute search in the NA versus a 30-minute, a 25-minute search in the UPT and a 30-minute in utility and one hour at Invitational. So you got the Invitational is easy. Everything is prize one or better. It has to be clean. But when you get to the UPT, which is a developmental test, now there's, there's a beginning and an end. It's a, it's, it's a stepping stone. That test is probably the hardest test for people to absorb because of that that, that very slow uh, small windows of, of 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 performance that's necessary for achievement for instance would be um, uh, the steady steady steadiness well if you think about it steadiness for minimum qualification for a UPT dog starts when the dog passes the handler passes by the dog. It ends with the shot. Well, when he walks by, sees the bird, and the bird goes in the air and, goes, and he gets the shot, that's seconds. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's the difference between Second. a one and a, that's the difference between a one and a four. Yes. Seconds. Right. right. And, right. and that was that was a really interesting thing to learn is, you know, I, I, me personally, I'm out there, I, I, you know, I'm learning alongside everybody else. And Blaine says, before we go out there, use your notes, write notes, those boxes on the back of your friend. I want to see those those boxes full of notes. Right. Well, you go out and you see the dogs taking place. You, you kind of it's like, yeah, you want to take notes, but you also need to be watching the dog. And so you're you're walking taking notes and watching the dog all at the same time. And so it's, uh, it is kind of a learning curve, but the steadiness was, it was like every time we got to see a rep for steadiness, you kind of, you got to see the pieces come together. And so like, while you're sitting here talking about the scorecard, it's like, okay, where does steady to flush stop and where does it start? And, and, you know, all the way through the sequence, it, Blaine, kind of what you talked about, the demo dogs give you the material. It's kind of hard to put into words until it's right there in front of you taking place. Nick, do you remember the moment when Blaine said, how many saw that bird, bird fly away? And, they, you know, several, most of the people raise their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching the dog. Yep. So you failed your job. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's and right. We all have the habit of watching the bird. And yeah, that's yeah. a habit you have to break as a judge. I'll mention too, Nick. We we did run a UPT dog Sunday. We didn't do two utility dogs. We did we did a UPT and a UT. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that it, then they got to, to understand the differences between some of that stuff, and and then you know we might touch on that when we I, a little bit later, maybe toward the end, we, with that that group of guys that I helped get ready for the UPT test, which was happening. At the same time, seven hundred yards away while we were doing our <laughs> clinic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, yeah, we're we're doing this handlers clinic. You guys have a test. The duck guys had another test. There, there is all kinds of stuff going on on the grounds out here. Uh, Patty, I, I want to get your take. You know, for somebody that's gone through six, seven, eight, eight clinics, however many y- you've been to so far, as just a, a participant, is there something that still hangs you up? that you always have a question to where no matter how many times you, you listen to it in the clinic, there's still just a little bit of confusion on your part. Well, it was, it was interesting. It's that flush, the flush. When does, when does, when the, when the handler, when the dog is, is aware of the handler, you know, that is an awareness thing that you watch as a judge, as an apprentice, as a handler in training that, to understand that you're, pointing stops when the dog is aware. And and it was interesting, the discussions of, you know, people saying, oh, he turned his head, he looked, you know, and they were very much, the group was very much watching for that moment. So that was really cool. And so, you know, I, you know, the, the flush, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I, I learned that this weekend, that weekend with Pete, Pete's group, that when the awareness of the handler, the dog is going from pointing to sequence. I always thought it was a steadiness sequence, but it's actually the flush on the judgment card. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that's the biggest, if, if people are going to take away one thing about NAVDA principles versus some of the other organizations and how we judge things is that key phrase is pointing is over when the dog is aware of the handler. And, and that's a, you could be a hundred, could be a hundred yards away. And we had that on, on we Sunday. Had that, yeah. We had, yeah. we had one dog that was, I mean, it had to be, 
I'd say 125 yards out, something like that. And it very obviously noticed us. And so from then on, that 125-yard walk was steady to flush sequence, right? It wasn't pointing because it, it acknowledged us from that far off. And that, that was a very big sticking point in the conversation on how do we judge and score this dog. And to me, that was like a perfect example of what you're talking about because on the next bird, it was boom, boom, boom. Like there was no acknowledgement. It was just like dog pointed, bird got up. And it's like, okay, how do you grade that? <laughs> you know, it's like every bird was a completely different scenario, which was also part of the fun. You know, as you're making this long walk in, all of a sudden you see the dog's tail starting to twitch. His intensity starting to drop off. And he seems to be more alert to the handler than he's got to look. And then he looks back at the bird. And it, when you start seeing that multiple look at the handler, looking at the bird with a softness of intensity, well, he's starting to get ready to take off. Mm -hmm. Right? And then as he gets going, uh, he all of a sudden you'll see him a lot of times when they get all the way in, then they harden up again. He said, well, he gave that thought up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the handle will start going past him and then they might be creeping or the beginning of some foot action. So now what you're seeing is the dog's anxiety now, or oh, it's going to go and I, I got to get, I got to get in there or I got to, whatever his th thought might be, but he's starting to break down. So where you see those things and how alert you are to these different little mannerisms the dog throws out, these are the things that we try to put out in these clinics that people pick up on. They're, they're, they're easy to see, but you, you don't see them unless someone brings it up. Yeah. And, you know, Nick, many, many years ago, and I can't even think what year it was, and Bob West came out, and we were in the field, and uh, he's, you know, it, his point was, don't assume as a judge you know what that air scent is doing, what the air is doing. Is that, you know, I mean, you think, well, the, the wind's in my face. The dog has to be getting that air's current. There's the scent. Don't assume, you know, don't, I mean, there's no, you can't see it, so you can't assume it. So you have to watch, you have to be, you have to educate yourself on dog behavior. And it was amazing to, to listen to him say that because I was like, well, so the air is coming right into that dog's face. But it you know, could go straight up, too. You don't assume that dog smells that bird, you know, and the dog has a poor nose because he's he's riding right in on that. It's pretty cool. And, and ultimately, you know, kind of circle back to what I was asking earlier. Uh, to me, I think that's wherein lies the value, whether you want to be a judge or not, is just seeing more dogs, seeing, di you know, different dogs within a specific set of criteria to where, like, you actually have the tools to then start piecing together and noticing patterns in dog behavior. And and that's just only going to make you a better handler, trainer, judge, whatever it is. Just, I mean, the more experience that you you put your mindset to within the, within the constraints of the system, you're going to be better off for it. Uh, but I think there's one thing that we haven't really touched on on this. I mean, a little bit with the demo dogs and just, just how much stuff was going on around that weekend is the importance of an actual like quality infrastructure to the local chapter putting the event on. Because you have to have a, an organized chapter to actually hold an event like this. And so how important is it to you guys 
to where you've you've been around the country, you've done all these clinics. Is it is it pretty much all the same, or is is the clinic just kind of different based on which chapter you go to? And that, and that might be a, an unfair way to ask the question, but uh, it, I don't know if that made sense to you at all. Well, it does. It does to me. Uh, sometimes I go in very. Um, some of these are very early chapters. They just they haven't got all their workers in place yet. They just got a bare bare bone people with limited uh, understanding. Uh, doing one of these clinics to to better prepare themselves. Yep. In those situations, you know, it's really important that uh, that we we now focus at uh, what what are the needs of a test. You know, where in Minnesota, I didn't have to spend much time on that because they're very that group that group Pete's group and Pete with all the work that he does and in his his support groups do, you don't worry about things. And those are neat clinics because now the, the people don't have to worry about anything. No one has to go run out and get the birds and, and get ready for the next sequence or somebody else have to do it and then participate as well. So uh, the, the better their structure is and, and, and uh, their prep work and having things ready when they need to be ready, uh, uh, makes a big difference for everybody that's participating. Pete, how hard is it to get the quality helpers and volunteers within a chapter without doing the clinics, right? You know, the clinic, it's kind of a, a thing to th- throw on. It's a good thing to get people involved, but you kind of have to start doing it first to get those people involved. I, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if that's a fair thing to say, but, you know, how do you go about really grooming that involvement so that the chapter can put on these events well we're i i think i know where you're going with this question is like for a new chapter maybe like your chapters how do you do this and, and we're probably right. not a good comparison there you know we're we're old we're tied with the potomac chapter for the oldest chapter we 51 years we've been doing this <laughs> um held the test every year for the last 51 years uh um, and we're big. We have 300 plus members. So, and we have a tremendous board of, board of directors. We have a tremendous website and ability to communicate with people by email and capture. And so when we need volunteers, it's simply a matter of sending out some emails saying, Hey, we need help this weekend. And here we go. Um, but I will say that, uh, it, and that made a little Blaine was saying, it's like, you know, when we had the workers at the clinic plant birds and setting stuff up, they weren't the clinic attendees. The clinic attendees could focus on the clinic. They weren't like doing double duty. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and then there were some, you know, we ran the test in conjunction with it. So like the lunch that we did, that was the joint lunch for both the clinic group and the test group and judges and everything. And, um, and that's actually the first big pick, uh, barbecue lunch we've done since COVID. You know, we, we used to do those all the time and we quit doing them. And this was the first one that kind of, we did that again. So there were some, um, some, uh, efficiencies there, you know, with volunteers for lunches and stuff. But, um, I guess I, to make it long story short, I guess I'm not, we're probably not the best chapter to ask that question because we have so many economies of scale, you know? Yeah. Now that, that, that's a fair point, but I guess where I was really going with this is kind of leading into the, the groups, the stuff that you're doing, like your UPT group to where there are other ways to, uh, 
groom involvement and, and getting people excited and engaged in the chapter. And it's stuff like what you're doing on the side, like your UPT group, that, that goes a long way of getting people involved because I, I bet – I don't know. You can tell me if I'm right in guessing this. Do you? Well, okay. I'll, okay. You just jogged my memory on something. So he'll talk. So I'll, I'll back up a step and explain what my UPT group is. So, yes. um, I think the Ames clinic is a great, wonderful thing tool. Um, I'm really glad they changed the name from the Handler clinic. Um, and I think there's a gap though. I think there's a tremendous need for something in between the Ames clinic and brand new member that knows nothing. Yeah. And I came up with this idea last year and we started doing it this year. I came up with two short courses and I, I just call it a versatile dog 101 search point track swim and then versatile dog 201 heel wool fetch. So, and to kind of help people understand the progression between the natural ability and what you need to worry about there. And then, okay, now what I want to move on toward possibly UPT or utility and, and more man-made obedience in the dog to overlay, you know, on the natural lily stuff. And these are just short little one to two hour things that we rolled out this year at some of our weekend events. And just to give a people, a, you know, like we do these mock, big mock NA tests, right? So we, before your NA test, we have a big day where you can come out and kind of do a practice mock test. But this year for the first time ever before that, I did a one hour class. Like we put the tents up and just almost like a clinic, like, Hey, you're going to go out there and you're going to do this mock natural lily test, but here's what we're looking for. Just, you know, basic stuff, not full scorecard, full Ames clinics, you know, four or five, six hour discussion, just one hour. Maybe give them some handling tips about releasing their dog on the track and, and what we're looking for at the water and what we're looking for on pointing. You know, a lot of people miss, especially at the Nashville level, they, they get all confused on their pointing because they don't think they're not pointed when their dog probably did just fine because they think their dog has to stay, you know, on point until they walk in and flush the bird, you know. That's not true, you know. Yeah. People don't understand that stuff. And yeah. you can explain that in a one-hour class, not in all the Ames clinic, right? True, yep. For new people. So that kind of stuff. And then, so what evolved out of that is, and you know I'm a big proponent of the UPT test. You oh, know, yeah. We did a whole episode on that. Yeah. Uh, especially in a big chapter like ours, it's like people get, get you know, in down some dumbest path, like, oh, you got to chase this utility score, utility prize one, and go to the invitational. For the average Minnesota person, especially where we're a strong hunting state and we have a lot of wild birds, a lot of people just want a dog. You know, you can think about like, oh, this, uh, I had a dog, my dad had a dog one time, you know, Queenie, she was the best dog ever. Well, you know why that dog was probably the best dog ever? Because it was born steady to flush and it was natural retriever. I'll take it. And that's a UPT dog, <laughs> you know, and, but not every dog's that way, but if no. you could just get to, for most average people, if they had a UPT prize three dog. That's a pretty dang good hunting dog for the average weekend, you know, a few times a year hunting yeah. guy in Minnesota. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. How can we help our members, you know, get a little bit more out of their natural ability dog and get a little bit of obedience in them to make them the hunting companions that they want. And then, you know, they don't have to chase that utility score and utility prize one and stuff like that. So I started this, this winter, uh, you saw my house. Unfortunately, I was able to move into a new house this year with this great garage, and I can set up a big training table in it. Oh, I yeah. held obedience classes here this winter, starting in January. And the small group of those people I offered, if if you're serious, you start in January and you're going to circle June 4th on your calendar to do your UPT test. And uh, we had seven people that committed to that and signed up for the test. And 
unfortunately we had a really late late ice out this year and you know, i like to start with duck search before we too much do too much of the obedience and steadiness stuff yeah. out in the field and so our training season got really shrunk down and and two guys decided their duck search just wasn't going to be where they wanted to think that they were going to pass so they dropped out so we ended up with five mm-hmm. and they all ran last saturday june 4th and they all passed there you but go. it started in january here in my garage and we literally did a couple weeks worth of field work. Yeah. Because the foundation was laid here in my garage this winter. Heel will fetch. So what we, we do here in, in New England, I mean, in the Yankee chapter is a lot like that. What you do, Pete, is we have what we call a test prep workshop every, maybe every other year. And it's a unofficial aims and rules clinic for chapter members who are, you know, want to gain more information about the naturally, the utility, UPT. And so morning is the NA and then after lunch is the UT and the chapter judges will be the panel up front. And uh, Nancy Anasil is usually our monitor that keeps us rolling. No, no hunting stories are allowed. So it's great. It's a whole day of education. You come in the morning or you come all day. You, what do you want to do? So that's, you know, it's, a little bit like you do, but it's it's continuing education, and every chapter should do that for their members. Yeah, I agree. And and we're this episode, like I said, it's about the Ames Clinic, and the Ames Clinic is great, but there's there's some middle ground there that some people can tap into. First, I mean, I think chapters should focus on that too. Yeah, it's kind of like just the middle ground, and and I heard somebody I can't remember who said it over the weekend, and and I agreed with them. Uh, obviously I, I can't proclaim to know everybody or have met everybody from every chapter, obviously across the entire country. But, you know, if you're not the biggest proponent of the NAVDA UPT test, Pete, you know, you're, you're up there. I haven't met or talked to anybody that, that speaks to the UPT, uh, level test with such, uh, I don't know, excitement that you do, right? And uh, it's, But it's a testament to where you started this small group. You saw a need to where we need something in the middle between UT and NA that's applicable to people and their personal goals. And instead of just sitting there like, okay, you know, let's talk about this or complain about it, you just went and did it. You just grouped them together. What kind of support on the backside did you do? I mean, are you talking about like a weekly phone call, a, a, a Zoom room? Like, I'm just kind of curious, how did you guys stay in touch on a weekly basis? Are we all actually meeting up in person every week? Well, so no, well, uh, it was, I met with these guys once a month starting in January. And I was very upfront with them. I'm not going to train your dogs for you. I'm going to, you come here and we're going to show you some stuff. Um, and I can honestly say in the whole group, there was probably four or five times total in the, in the three or four months that I actually took a dog and did something with it. And it was only to demonstrate somebody like timing and commands and corrections and praise and stuff, whether it would be healing or on the table with hold and carry or something like that. But other than that, I sent them home. They came once a month. I sent them home and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll credit, I'm going to give a shout out to Derek Vandeveld, uh, when it's in his Spinoni, Fauci, he named his dog Fauci during the pandemic. That's a <laughs> pandemic name, huh? Uh, <laughs> an Italian name. Uh, he sent me some videos of, of, his, of his healing and hold and carry work and stuff. And then I thought, wow, that's really good. And then that gave me the idea to start. I started a little private Facebook group for our, for our training group. And then people started sharing videos on there. And that was a great way to like see where people were at and you could comment and give suggestions and stuff. And 
and then they'd come back the next month. And, you know, so really they really only came to my garage three or four times. And then as soon as I said, Hey, as soon as the snow melts, we're going to move outside and then we're going to move to weekly training sessions for, for this. But we had such a late spring. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I was thinking it was going to be a fail because we just didn't get the work outside in that we did once the snow melted, but these guys really took to it. And then they started meeting on their own and they started meeting up at the training grounds on their own without me. And, and it was almost like a, like created a little energy and, and, and they did it. And there were some good scores. I'll tell you what, the retrieving scores, they would surprise me. I mean, I was watching some of these guys retrieving when we first, when the snow first melted and I'm like, Ooh, we're going to be lucky to pass this test. And boy, I think uh, that, that group of five people and their UPT scores, the retrieving area was the best. It was great to see. And I mean, again, you start okay. off with, go ahead, Patty. Can you feel energy? He, I mean, he, he is such, Pete is the UPTI. <laughs> <laughs> you started off with seven. You ended up with five. You said that it went five for five on passes. You know, I know in NAVDA we don't like to use a, the, the word perfect, but you got a perfect score on that, five for five, right? And it's just a testament. Blaine, I, I want to pick your brain on this because – you, you've been involved in NAVDA a heck of a lot longer than us. You know, it's, I can't remember the exact member number that you're at, but you know, you're kind of like a NAVDA institution. Uh, have you found since the, since NAVDA started to where that's kind of what happens if you give people the, the avenue or the tools or the opportunity that they kind of come through with higher than expected results? Well, you know, the neat thing with these clinics all of a sudden, you get these guys like Pete, and you fire them up, and and then this this is what comes to surface. So I I think the better we do our jobs at our handlers clinic, we got to understand, you know, to be a judge in our organization, you have to have one of these clinics, and not only do you after you have done that and and met the criteria, but we have to be hunters as well because this test is designed designed kind of it, it it it's from a hunter's perspective i mean the search of the duck is is what the dog does on the side of the handle on cripple game on water um uh, tracking is cripple game on water our our pointing of steadiness is safety and security and and it is a conservation tool the, the more proficient our dogs are at retrieving, the chances of uh, the game coming. That's a conservation. If you look at our test, it, it, it's high. It's high in conservation, and it and it and it's geared right at hunting, especially for bristle hunting, where you're doing upland game and waterfowl. And and I that I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this up because. That is one thing, Blaine, that I appreciated through the clinic is obviously we're there to learn the scorecard and and the constraints or not constraints, but the criteria within NAVDA, right? But uh, you kept re reverting back to what's the point of this? You know, tell me, uh, tell me the story. Why are we doing this? Why are we out here simulating a track? What's the purpose? Of it? And it came back to hunting. And so, so for someone who, who does NAVDA to extend their season, I enjoy it but I'm not giving up hunting to do NAVDA. I really appreciated that outlook. And, and you know, I, I know that that's kind of where NAVDA started was developing the best hunting dog. And uh, obviously that's that's still very important to the vast majority of people with a NAVDA, I'd say. Uh, but I really personally appreciated that outlook throughout your clinic. 
Well, thank you. I try to put it out there. I, I think it's a very important element. And it also brings in the buy-in of the guy. Maybe he doesn't want to test. He just he'll eventually test. If his dog gets proficient, he's going to want to test his dog. But you don't have to force him at it. You just need to educate him. And I think if we do it right and we direct, because most of these dogs, most of us are hunters. We're going to be taking these dogs to the field. So the, be- the, the better I motivate them, the better they train them, uh, the chances are wildlife, you know, improving, you know, just shooting up things and they're not coming home is not a good way of doing hunting. So if I can impress some of that and conservation into some of these people, what we do, I, uh, I, I, I made my day. You know, it, it's contagious. That's the bottom line. You can't help it. <laughs> you know, we can't help it. You drove how many miles to go to that event? <laughs> no, I flew I flew that one. I wasn't driving that one for the event. I flew that one. <laughs> it's contagious. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's like I tell everybody, you know, I had a few people look at me kind of crazy, like, you flew up here for an Ames and Rules class? I was like, hey, if you want the information, you're going to go get the information. Uh, don't say that you want it and then just, you know, it, I don't know. It, that's the way I look at it is if you want it, you're going to go find it. But, uh, Patty, I, I want to start with you. Is there anything that we've left out uh, looking back on this Ames and Rules clinic overall? Is there any any touching point that you want to hit before we uh, wrap this sucker up? Um, the only thing, Nick, is kind of a funny part, but uh, I, I travel with Lane as his translator. He <laughs> 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 has that New England accent that people sometimes, if you've noticed, don't have a clue what he's just said. <laughs> so I'm his translator. <laughs> no, it's, it was every event I go to was wonderful. And, you know, Pete was, Pete and Kathleen, his wife, were over the top as hospitality and you know, we felt very comfortable and met wonderful people as we do with everything we do. So now it's wonderful. Yeah. Pete, do you have any closing remarks? Yeah, I just want to say, I know you were trying to maybe indicate like, you know, what it takes to put on an AIMS clinic and it's a lot easier than a test. So I didn't want to scare you when you just say hey, we're a big chapter. We can do all these things. You literally can do an AIMS clinic with a couple bird planters and a, and a couple gunners and enough just to maybe one floater running around. You know, as long as you can, you know, get enough people to sign up for it and, and set your fees right to where, you know, you're not going to lose any money by the time you, you know, uh, get the grounds fees and your birds paid for and, and whatever. And um, it's a pretty informal thing. It's way less stressful than a test, putting on a test. Blaine, what about you? You have any closing thoughts? No, not really. Uh, I, I just, you know, it, we 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 in in NABD are, are in dire need of judges. So I if I can if I can find every time I do a clinic if I can find one or two people that fit the bill or seem that I can motivate ahead towards this direction. Um, my legacy is uh, NABD gave me a lot. I made a lot of friends, taught me a lot, and made me I I think. Basically, it changed my life to who I am personally. So when I go out to these clinics, I like giving back. And I think all if you look at Pete and my wife and just about everybody, and have the, they're all giving back something. And it, it's so exciting to see, see and meet people in, in that light. And I guess 
And I guess that's what that makes the importance of this clinic is the, is that that camaraderie we develop. Absolutely. Well, I know for one, I, I learned a lot. I really enjoyed the clinic, the lessons, meeting you all in person. I know that, you know, I've had all of you on the podcast a number of times before. It was it was a real pleasure to actually get to meet you in person and, uh, you know, and just enjoy everything that was going around on that weekend. You know, it was really neat just how to see how everything came together, how it worked. And uh, like like Pete talked about, I mean, just having the test kind of come and eat with the clinic uh, attendees, and then just just it it was a nice touch from me being in the clinic all day learning all this, and then you get to see the test scores read right afterwards, right? It just kind of flowed right on into it. That was a, that was a really nice touch, in my opinion. Yeah, especially that utility day when they came in with those utility scores and ads. Had two two oh fours, right? Yeah, Ted awesome. pulled off those two two oh fours. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> they were they were both prize ones. Let's not give okay. Ted too much. <laughs> Ted, <laughs> I, Ted was Ted Ted was here last night dropping off the first. Yeah, it was perfect. You know. But it was it was it, great. It was a great moment for Ted and his his Spinonis, Yeah. So next next year, if we do one in Maine, we'll see you there. Absolutely, we'll see I, you I, here. I, I just need any excuse to get back up to Maine. My my wife will join me on that trip. <laughs> okay. Guys, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Again, uh, it was a real pleasure meeting you, uh, getting to experience the clinic, and I'm sure that our paths will cross again here soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. All right, remaining on the line with us this week for the outro, Pete's still here. Pete, uh, was there anything in the episode that you can think of that we left off about the small group stuff and, and more particular, your UPT group? Uh, no, I know the episode was mostly about the clinic, but um, yeah. we touched on you know, the fact that I was working with this group this winter. And, you know, one of my uh, – uh, when I when I got into NAVDA and got past natural ability and started wanting to do more, there did – in the chapter, I just, there wasn't a lot of organized help for the utility level stuff unless you knew some of the older guys in the chapter and got into their little training groups and stuff. So when I got on the board and started judging and stuff, I learned a lot more. I'm like, you know, there needs to be a better path for people here. And so this year, I, I, I guess I put my money as time, I guess. So I put my time where my mouth was and I offered to lead the, to do a winter obedience class and start people off toward a goal of, you know, the UPT test, because again, that's a test that I think is underutilized, and uh, and sometimes you know if you just look at the test standards for that test, if you just want a hunting dog, um, whether you take the test or not, if you understand the principles behind what's considered a passable or prize three level of that dog, it's a pretty good hunting dog. I mean, we did a whole episode, a podcast episode about that. Um, so yeah, so I uh, these guys, uh, I had a, three groups of five or six people. I think fifteen or sixteen people that signed up for, and I kind of capped it at that. I could have had more people, but to do my versatile dog two hundred one heel wool fetch class is what I called it um, here at my house starting in January, and then uh, seven of those people uh, then then broke off from that and continued through the spring and, and with that Jan, June 4th UPT test date on their count circled on their calendar as a goal to shoot for. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you kind of saw, you noticed the same gap, so to speak from NA to utility level that we did. And ultimately was a big catalyst for starting this podcast. Ultimately was we, you had a couple guys like us, uh, me and Austin and a couple other training partners to where we wanted the knowledge that there was just nowhere to go get the knowledge. And so we're okay, well, let's, let's start calling people and 
finding the knowledge ourselves. Uh, but it sounds like this small group kind of hit exactly what you're wanting. Are any of the people that just finished the UPT test, are they talking about going to the utility level next? Or are they kind of what you're talking about to where this is really primarily what they wanted was just a dog that hunts. And so UPT is good for them. I think there's some of each. I think a couple of people, you know, have, and especially a couple of the dogs are certainly capable of more. Um, and then there's a couple of them that, you know, maybe this is it for them, you know, and that's fine. Yep. You know, so I think that'll remain to be seen, but, um, I, I know a couple of them are, are moving on to utility. In fact, uh, I think in August they're, you know, they're signed up for a UT test nice. this summer and they'll work on it. Yeah. Heck yeah. So, I mean, besides this small group, again, you know, going back to the chapter infrastructure that allows and affords everybody the opportunity, what other things have you guys done as a chapter to to really spark engagement and motivation from your members? Well, I uh, there's we're big, you know, we've talked about that, and, and some people say we're too big, we can't, you know, there's just too much going on, but there's some strength in that size, um, you know, we have money. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you that what really drives everything is our website. Um, we're fortunate to have a chapter member that's an IT guy, uh, Drew Brown. He was actually at the AIMS clinic. He's getting in the apprentice program. Um, his wife's a judge. Um, and they actually, they live in Michigan now. They moved away, but they're still chapter members in Minnesota and they're very engaged. Uh, Mindy comes over here to judge quite a bit. Um, um and he set up this website a couple of years ago and it was not really kind of being utilized. It was, he, he didn't want to be the day-to-day guy. He set up the architecture. He's like, somebody has got to be the, you know, the actual day-to-day website editor. Yeah. Well, when I got on the board a few years ago and I know just enough to be dangerous, I guess, tech wise <laughs> and stuff. And I, yeah. so I got, I got my fingers in there and started figuring stuff out and we rolled it out. And, and at first we did online payments with just our membership renewals, you know, and then once we got that rolling for a year and everybody was comfortable, then we started just adding on to that. You know, all of our events and test entries and everything is done online now. Um, uh, and it's a really easy way to communicate with people. You can capture everybody's email addresses easy. We do these web forms for everything and sign them up for our events. And um, and it just grew from there. And then we built that the pages of that website out. If you go to our training pages on there, I, I kind of, I kind of aggregate and filter through all the information that I run across out there on the internet and, and stuff and magazine articles of the BHD and, and uh, podcasts and different things. And I, and I, I kind of filter it down into the, we've got a natural ability and exposure kind of category page. And then we've got the utility level kind of stuff. And I kind of, kind of filter through that information that I, if I think it's really good mapped or specific good stuff and I put it on there. Yeah. And, you know, it's the year's 2022. Somebody listening to this are like, yeah, a website. I know what a website does. But in terms of really kind of making the overall chapter uh, infrastructure just more efficient, just, you know, the less time that somebody has to deal with collecting membership dues, the less time somebody has to deal with collecting bird orders, the less time, like, the, the test secretary has to do all the forms and everything, that's less burnout on your members that are the most active in my in my eyes. That's how I look at it. Is the yeah, more- it, it's just a more efficient, modern way to do things, absolutely. You know, we did get some kickback from somebody like, can I just write a check, send it to yeah. membership dues? Well, think about it. If you write a check and send it in, somebody's got to do something with that check. Now exactly. that's a trip to the bank and, and it just adds layers to stuff that's not needed anymore. But we did get some kickback on it. But 
yeah grudgingly finally you know capitulated i guess and and change is always hard especially for guys that have been writing checks for bird orders for 40 years right you know it's just like i've been doing it for 40 years why can't i keep doing it but like we just said it's important you know most chapters you hear all the time about like you have the same people overall involved and and volunteering the less burnout and time that you can put on them, the better. And so just freeing up bird orders like that boy, it goes a long way. Uh, something that I know that, that you guys have done and incorporated it within your chapter and it kind of goes in with the clinic is how to foster the uh, judge apprenticeship program and keeping people actually interested in moving into that program. Do you want to talk about what you guys have uh, kind of started? Well, so I, the way I got into judging was kind of a fluke. I just, uh, you know, there was another chapter member who was had become a judge and he was our judging coordinator and, and he uh, was going to be moving away through job transfer. So, and he, I didn't know him really at all, but he knew that I had a couple dogs and I was kind of testing the UT and stuff. And we were training one day and he says, have you ever thought about becoming a judge? I'm like, no, <laughs> never <laughs> crossed my mind. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but so he said, you should think about it. You know? So I, and I like, well, maybe when my son's out of high school and gone to college and I have more time and stuff, we'll do it. And, and then she, and then, and then, and and then I realized, well, you know, that if you look at the judge roster we had at the time, the number of tests we did, I'm like, chapter really needs judges now. And that yeah. was kind of an eye-opening thing for me that, that that guy, you know, asked me about it. And, and I dove into it and got through it. And then I became the judging coordinator for the chapter. And I realized, you know, how hard it is to get judges. And, and you look through that roster and you don't know these, you know, test secretaries looking at that judge test roster. It's like daunting. Like, who do I call? You yeah. know? And so I just realized that, the, that you know, it's kind of gone off, getting off tangent here, but we needed more judges. Um, and so then I thought about how can we get younger people, you know, in and excited about it and maybe take some of the, the fear away or the, that, you know, bridge that gap to jumping in. And so we came up with the idea of, you know, cause we do have a fair amount of money, um, to create a little scholarship program that, you know, if you want to get in and you make it through the program, we'll give you 1500 bucks. Yeah, and help cover some of your expenses and stuff. And, and I think what it did is it helped people um, make that decision to get in. It was probably easier to sell it to their spouse or significant other that hey, there'll be a little carrot at the end here if I make it through. And then, and then I think the majority of the people that have signed up for that scholarship now, you know, we've paid out a few, but a few of the people are like, you know what, I got through it. It wasn't that bad. I really don't need to keep the money in the chapter. There you so, go. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, I mean, you and I, you know, I've spoken to a number of people to where I would have interest in the apprenticeship program. Just, you know, there's a couple hurdles such as the monetary requirements, but also like it's it's a lot easier to do it when you're when you have closer chapters. Right. And, you know, the opportunity to get your dogs in. But the financial piece is a big piece. Uh, just talking to other people my age and, and interested in getting in is, you know, not only are you offering your time to travel and go do all these tests to get your dogs in and everything, that's added cost. And, and just while $1,500, you know, that, that might cover everybody's expenses, it might not cover all of them for somebody. Who, who knows? No, but, yeah. Yeah. We're kind of fortunate here with the number of tests we do that you can get a lot of dogs in all Now, you still got to be your out area. You know, you have to travel and then there's some cost with that. But yeah. the other thing we, we do as a chapter, we're really trying to take care of apprentices, not only our apprentices, but um, and we usually all our tests are usually full with our own apprentices. Now we're not getting a lot of outside people coming in because we just don't have room for them. You know, you get 
two two apprentices per judging team per day you know mm-hmm. um but we'll we'll take care of their we'll, we'll feed them we'll house them we'll figure out you know we'll try to take whatever burden we can off them to to lessen their their you know we'll, we'll even you know we try to you know if there's a judge that's got a hotel room he's willing to have an apprentice stay with him we'll do that you know or find a place for him to stay and, and obviously we'll see you know if they can get themselves here we'll take care of the rest you know and that that's the trick that's kind of where i was trying to get at just with too many words i guess is it's like it just helps lower the bar like you're not doing away with the bar altogether they're still going to pay their dues they're still going to learn like everybody else but it just makes it more attainable and, and more of an option especially like you said maybe in your spouse's eyes right yeah but hey, you know, especially if they are, if we do get some out of the area, people coming into apprentice, we take care of them. Then hey, they want to come back and judge for us, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, Pete, uh, I think it's a great system. I mean, I, I really enjoy the small group mentality and and really kind of banking all the information that you have up on your website for members. It, it like you said, it's it's all about connecting the dots. Once they finish NA, do they have the resources and path? to keep on going and then that way you're not losing people just after the fall na test and you never see them again right yeah and one one thing i do feel a little bit bad about is because we are so big and we're going to test over 100 nationality dogs this year it looks like and trying to help all these people and and that's when we restricted our test entries to pretty much members only this year too so that's almost all chapter members running na that many of them and to try to make sure those people get all the help they need and get these puppies ready we're 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 probably dropping the ball a little bit there just because it's so overwhelming and we've only got so many people that feel like they're qualified training group leaders and stuff and we need more so if there's anybody in the chapter listen to this we need you to get some groups and help out these people there you go well, uh, y'all are doing great things up there. I enjoy uh, learning and, and seeing what you guys are having uh, coming up and all the ideas that you guys put forth and just the growth overall. I, I love seeing active chapters and, and something that hopefully other chapters can learn from. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to do some real quick housekeeping and we can wrap this up. Uh, normal stuff go social media gundog it yourself it's on facebook instagram uh, if you want to shoot us a direct email guest uh, suggestion topic suggestion you dislike something i said on an episode uh you want to come at pete over something he said by all means just shoot it to me at gundog yourself at gmail.com uh every week we read a review of the week and i shoot out a sticker and hat if you're listening and you let me know that i read your review then i'll try and get it to you this week i'm actually going to read a review uh most people don't don't know this but if it's an international review it doesn't always show up on itunes so we have to go dig in and and we can access it but we have to go find it through another wall uh this one is from one of our uh, canada reviews uh it's it's a five-star review practical advice from real people this is from true northern uh and it says, with my first pointing dog, a setter, due to come home later this summer, I've used the time to listen to every episode of GDIY. This has given me the foundational knowledge I need to be confident about the journey ahead for me and my pup. I still have much to learn, but you have taken a potentially daunting learning curve and turned it into bite-sized pieces. GDIY really fills the void of what I wish someone had told me about gun dog training before I started. And I think that's a pretty damn good review honestly i mean that's exactly what we're after we're you know i'm not coming on i'm not an expert i'm not a trainer i'm not a judge i'm just trying to put the information out there that i want myself and uh so thanks for the review if i read it you know let me know that i read your review i'll I'll try and get you something in the mail but 
Pete, is there anything that we left off that you want to touch on real quick or you want to shut this sucker off? No, I think we're good, man. I, you know me. I'll talk dogs all day long. <laughs> keep me on this off, so. yep. Well, until next time, again, thanks for the invite up there. I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to get back up there and see you guys in person again. All right. It was great having you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.